0: chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27, we'll begin reading with verse number 9, Acts 27, verse number 9, and we'll read through verse number 14, page number 827 in your pew Bible. Acts 27, beginning in verse number 9. Now, when much time was spent, and I must add this by way, um, or for the reason that we haven't had some of you here, the last time we spoke from this passage, um, you remember verse number 8, we left off. They were in fair Haven. And verse number nine is telling us when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed. That information is given us because that was something that was, you know, important to the Jew. They knew, they understood that time of the season you didn't sail when the fast was already passed, according to their customs. Paul admonished them. Verse number 10 says, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and with much damage, not only of the lading and the ship but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part, or the majority, advised to depart from thence also, or to go just like the captain of the ship has suggested, if by any means they might attain to Venice and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence or having left fair havens, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there, or not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclodon. And we'll just read at least that far to look um, at what we're going to look at this morning. <clears throat> Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll remind you of some things that we've already spoken of, just to refresh your mind since it's been a week since uh, we've been here in the text, having had the meeting the last weekend. So let's, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, Ask the Lord to be with us and to speak unto us. Father, as we come this morning, we, Father, thank you first of all that those of us who are here were able to be here. And we thank you more than that, that we have hearts that desire to be here. And more than that, that we've come this morning prepared to hear And more also than that, that we've come having prayed and having sought you, that you might speak and might even give me, Father, liberty to speak this morning, and that you would come, Father, in an extraordinary way, that you'd be in our midst and manifest yourself unto us and glorify yourself in the midst of us, Father, that we might bow down before you this morning, and the awe of your beauty, and the awe of your holiness, Father, and the wisdom of your word, that we might take forth from this place today, Father, things um, that are needful for us, that you would speak to each and every heart that is here, supply each and every heart, each and every mind, each and every circumstance and situation that's going on in the lives of your people who are here or who may be listening. Father, this morning that you would supply everything that they need in Christ. Father, that you'd supply all of our needs this morning here in Christ. We know that everything that we have that is good, everything that we have that is right, everything that we have that is holy, it's only because of the Lord Jesus Christ that we'd have no life, we'd have no salvation, we'd have no atonement, we'd have no redemption, we'd not have new hearts, we'd not be born again, we'd not have renewed minds, we'd not have desires to serve you and glorify you and honor you if it were not for the Lord choosing, for you sending your Son, and for the Lord Jesus Christ choosing suffering and choosing death. And choosing to take upon himself our sin and choosing to give his life a ransom choosing to die for us that we might live choosing to take our sin upon himself and suffer an eternity of hell in a moment of time for us that we might live in heaven in your presence and glorify your name for an eternity we thank you We thank you for life that we have. We thank you for salvation that is ours. We thank you for your love that you've shown unto us. We thank you for calling us unto yourself when we were going our own way and we cared nothing for the things of God and we would not have chosen you but you chose us and drew us unto yourself and shed abroad your love in our hearts and caused us to be drawn unto you with cords of love. We thank you, Father. Be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's been two weeks since I've spoken to you from this text. I want to remind you of some of the things that we've already said, one of which I've already mentioned this morning. We are amongst mixed company on board this ship. We spoke this morning already the extreme and the vast importance of our yes being yes and our no being no because we live among other men who are not converted. And I would add this to what we have been saying about a mixed company, that it is only for the elect's sake, it's only for God's children's sake, that this ship has not already sunk, that this world still stands. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah. And you think about Lot being there. And you think about when God told Abraham that he was going to destroy the city. And Abraham said, Lord, if there's, if there's ten righteous, will you save the city? Will you spare the city for ten righteous? And the Lord said, I will spare the city for ten righteous we ten righteous. Lord, will you spare the city for one righteous man? Will you spare this world for that last one to come unto you? There's going to be one more at least that is going to make up the number. We don't know when that last one will be, but this world will stand until that last one has come. And I think the Lord's going to wrap it up. I don't know how long after the last one comes. I don't know what that last one needs to experience. I don't know what the last one needs to go through. I don't know what the, the storms of this life, and the trials and tribulations that need to be experienced by that last one. But by the same token, the Lord could teach all those things unto that soul, even in heaven. It doesn't need to be done here, but whatever the Lord chooses. But I don't know how long it'll be. That last one's converted. Will it be till the last one dies? Until at last one lives a ripe old age? I don't know. But I know that Sodom and Gomorrah stood as long as Lot was in the boundaries of that city. The angel had to come and take them by the hand. Take them out because they were reluctant to leave. Lot's wife looked back because her heart was still there. She was turned to a pillar of salt. But they were taken by the hand and took out of the city. And the angel says, I cannot destroy this city until you are safely away from it. And so I think that tells us something of what the length of life of this vessel called the world that we are sailing upon is going to be like. It's only going to last that long. On board, not only is there a mixed company, but we have companions. We talked about Luke and Aristarchus, and we talked about the fellowship of the brethren and we talked about the comfort and we talked about the encouragement and we talked about the sharing of burdens and we talked about what a blessing that they were unto Paul, and how that they took this upon themselves. You know the only way that they could travel on board this ship was to give themselves. To servitude and to be the servant of a man who was a prisoner of Rome and we if we're going to be any benefit unto one another if I am going to be any benefit unto you I am going to have to put myself in that position I'm going to have to be a servant unto you I'm going to have to have a servant's heart I'm going to have to have that same heart that our Lord had when he came and he knelt down at the feet of Peter and would wash his feet. And you're going to have to have the kind of heart that allows me to wash them for you, for me to be of any service to you. Peter said, not me, Lord. You, I, I, I'll wash your feet, but you can't wash mine. Now, we need to wash one another's feet. Maybe not literally, I'm not advocating a foot-washing service, but you understand what I'm saying. I mean, We have to have a servant's heart to be any benefit. If I see you in need, I've got to have a servant's heart to want to help you. And you've got to have a heart, of course, to receive such help. The ship, we said this world, doomed for destruction. Not going to be saved. Not going to be saved. We talked about, I mentioned not having give, given a great deal of thought, not being a sailor about the undergirding of the ship, how they would tie those cables. And Jim came to me when we were eating two Sundays ago. He says, I know how they've got those cables under there. You know, I was trying to think about it the hard way. And how are you going to send the cable under the side of the ship on the other side? He said, it's real easy. I said, well, tell me, enlighten me. He said, you walk to the front of the ship. You let down the cable over the front of the ship. Walk back with it. Put it where you want it. Go up there. Take another one back. However many you need. You know, you just undergird the ship. I said, that is simple. You know, sometimes the most simple things just completely, you know, escape us. But it is. That is very simple. I thanked Him for that. That's, uh, that was good. But the ship, this world doomed for destruction, the storms that we have seen in reading this chapter The storms that arise on the sea the troubles of this life that's what they are the storms on the horizon we can see them coming storms that we're in things that we're going through right now that we're already in the middle of winds blowing waves are tossing you know the 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 lightning and the thunder booming and flashing You you may be in that place right now you may see it coming we talked about the ultimate storm that's on the horizon The one that is coming. God's yes being yes and his no being no. And him not changing and there being no shadow of turning in him. He said that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. The soul that sinneth will die. The soul that sinneth will suffer eternity of hell. Eternity of torment. Outside of Christ. Every soul sinned. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bibles replete with those types of things, telling us all that we have sinned, that the Lord found us in our like a, a baby that had been born <clears throat> and just left in the field, and just wallowing in our own filth and pollution, you know, left there in the blood and everything to wallow in. You know, that's that's us drinking in iniquity like water and loving to have it so outside of Christ. That person, the soul that sinned, that's what the Bible is talking about, shall surely die. There is no escape other than through Christ. No, it's not works. No, it's not by the works of anyone. Not by the works of yourself. It's only by what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must Can be saved. It's only through Christ. How many times have we talked about that, John? Just Christ. Christ alone. Through faith in Christ alone. Only Christ. John would look at me and say, only Christ. Just Christ, right? There is no other way, right? Right, yes. Only Christ. We'd be riding back and forth in the car. You know, from Wednesday night services. I don't have to depend upon myself. I don't have to depend upon others. My faith rests squarely and solely upon Christ. That he is my acceptance in the sight of God. That God has received his sacrifice as a complete and perfect atonement, satisfied by sin death, expiated, blotted out, wiped out, removed. There is a book. Everything is written in. Whether it's a literal book, certainly could be. But there is a record. That's what the Bible is telling us. There is a record of every transgression. What we talked about this morning, just look at the one thing that's enough. Every lie that you've ever told. Jim, we may have sold some things to people before and didn't tell them everything we knew. I don't know. I don't want to lay that on on your doorstep if it doesn't belong there but we may have sold something to somebody. And we held back some information. Well, you know, they didn't ask. Don't ask, don't tell. That's my policy. That's not the right policy. I know that's not Jim's. Jim was telling me about a vehicle he's got down there. Um, it's a, a Blazer, or Jimmy. That Blazer is a Chevrolet. Um, and he said the transmission, the engine, you know, it's crate motor straight from you know GM 10,000 miles on it but the transmissions not real sound so I need to find a transmission for it you know transmission somebody may get in get in it he could sell it you know put it in drive it go, go down the road and it may last him 20 30 40 50,000 miles who knows well, we don't know but Jim knows that it's not as solid as he thinks it ought to be therefore, he wants to find another one to put in it before he sells it to somebody. You know, Got an old truck back there he showed to Mike. You know, we talk about going to look in the car and kicking the tires. Jim told me, he said, before I put this out front and sell it to anybody, he said, I want some good tires on. It. You know, I mean, you could sell it to somebody and say, hey, you can see the tires. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, you don't have to be a mechanic to see if these tires have no tread. But he doesn't want them to get on the road out there and have a blowout, and flip or roll the truck. Who knows what could happen? So, I'm not trying to build Jim up. You know. I'm going to read a proverb later that says, let others speak well of you. you know, we don't go around boasting of ourselves. But, I can say things about him. And if his yes is yes and his no is no, then people are going to say things about him. That's an honest person. you know. And he doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to have a big sign out there by the fence. Honest Jim. Car repair, body work, you know. He doesn't have to have that. If his yes is yes and his no is no. Sign's not necessary. People will look and search him out to find him, to do business with him, if his yes is yes and his no is no. And he's had customers that have said, you know what, this guy over there, he's a good guy. You know, they may not be a Christian, they might have they might not have a category for saying that a person's a Christian. They may have a category for that, saying that his yes is yes, and his no is no, just like scripture says. They just may say, He's a good person, he's an honest person. You know, I'd do business with him again. But that's all stuff. Cars and things and tires and And the cargo on board this ship is the stuff that we've obtained along the way. Some of that stuff we just thought we had to have. And boy, you know, the world's out there setting it before you each and every day. Trying to make you dissatisfied with what you got, so you just you have to have what they have to offer. You know, what you've got is old, you know. With some things like computers we just we can't help. I mean you gotta buy a new one because they come out with software that won't work on the old ones anymore. And if you're going to use it on the internet or whatever, conduct business with Communicate with people. You're going to have to have a newer one because the old one just doesn't work with the new software, does it, Rebecca? Rebecca wanted me to put Windows 98 on a computer that she had. And, she's fine, and it worked for a long time with all the stuff that she wanted to, to uh, use on the computer. But there's something that happened just the other day that finally caught up with her. And she'd like to have an updated version of Windows now because it's just not, not working. But this stuff this stuff we've obtained along the way on our voyage. um, Yeah, that's the cargo. And what do we say about the ship and the stuff? What do we say about the ship and the cargo? Neither the ship or the cargo is going to be saved. No, you can't take it with you. They may be able to bury you with it, but you ain't taking it with you. You're not going to take it with you. So, the ship, the cargo, even ultimately those things aren't, aren't to be our focus. What's our focus? am trying to remind you of these things. Our focus is our soul. We could say our focus is, and this is what I was saying when I said even ultimately, we could say our focus is the souls of those on board, but ultimately it's your soul. Ultimately it is your soul. That is the thing. That is the thing to be focused upon. I can't save you, John and Louise, and I talked about that this morning. I can't save Andrew. I can't save Rebecca. I can't save Anna. I can't save Lydia. I can't save Ryan or Randall. I can't save Ricky. I can't save Mom or Dad. Aunts or uncles, friends, coworkers. What to say? Sway say we could do. You sow the seed. You sow the seed. Salvation of that soul. That's not your part. Your part is sowing the seed. Your part is watering. The increase. That seed springing forth out of the depth of the earth. Growing and bearing fruit. That's God's part. That is not your part. The salvation of any soul is not. That part of the blood being upon your hands is not yours. The part that's yours is, did you preach the gospel? Did you share the gospel? Did you tell that person that the only way that they could be saved because they are a sinner and their sins are written down and the only way they can be blotted out and removed is through Christ? Did you, did you share the gospel with that person? You've got to sow the seed. The result of that sowing not up to you. You may only get the opportunity to share the gospel, to throw the seed out there with that person. You may never have any more contact with that person. Or you may. You may get a chance to water that seed. But it's growing. That's not you. Now, that is not what most of the churches around us would say. They would say it's up to you to have them pray sinner's prayer and to back them up in the corner and say, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, no. Well, repeat this prayer with me. And then after that person's repeated that prayer with you, to say, well, you're saved. You don't have that power. You know the power that it takes to convert a soul to save a sinner? When God said, let there be light, and who knows what fantastic thing happened in space when God said that. And light came into being. It takes that kind of power. It takes the kind of power that when God took the dust of the earth and he formed Adam, made him into a mud man laying there on the on the ground. He was lifeless. Yeah, you and I, we can go out there and go on the beach or <clears throat> out here making mud pies and make something that looks like a man. But you can't make that man live. You can't breathe the breath of life into the nostrils of that thing that you formed on the earth and make it stand up and think and reason and understand. You can't do that. That takes the power of God. That takes the breath of God to breathe upon that person. And that is why the Scripture says you must be born again. You must be. Nicodemus, you must be born again. No, it's not entering into your mother's womb a second time. My mother wouldn't want me in her womb a second time. I wouldn't fit in my mother's womb a second time. It takes the power of God. It takes God breathing upon that soul and awakening it unto Himself and taking out of it that stony heart how are you going to do that? I can't reach in there and take that stony heart out. I can't do that. I can't reach in and take a stony heart out of you and put in you a heart of flesh. I can't do that. I can't renew your mind. Cause it to desire to please and and, and to be satisfied in Christ and to glorify him, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, that you do all the glory of God, I can't do that. That's not what the, the popular gospel says. That's not what the televangelist says. That's not what our seminaries today are turning out. When they're training men to become, I'm not saying there's not any good ones out there. I'm sure there still are some good, sound seminaries out there. But the bulk of them. I know there's one in California. I know there's the Master Seminary out there that, that um, John MacArthur, and grace to you, that men that, that they have, Set in places to teach. Teaching those men what is right. And that it is God that saves. That salvation is of the Lord. That it takes the power of God. It takes the Spirit of God moving through the gospel that you speak. To convert a man. All I can do is tell them. Point him to Christ. And as long as, they are, as long as they are willing to be watered by the Word of God and I can share more of the Gospel with them and more of what the Lord said, then I'll continue to pour water on them. But you can't save them. I didn't have that in my notes and plan to go into all that necessarily, but felt compelled by the Lord to do so. The focus, that's where I was, is upon the salvation of your soul you must be saved and you must cry out unto the lord that you might be whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved you must call upon him i'm telling you call upon the lord that you might be saved but he's got to do the same you can't even save yourself you must call upon him but you can't even save yourself I can't pray that sinner's prayer and say, I'm saved. And go about living the way that I was living before. A lot of people come down to the front. A lot of people pray those prayers. A lot of people shake preacher's hand. A lot of people are told, well, you're, you're a, a child of God now. You're, you're saved. You're a believer. You're converted. What about your heart? Is anybody told you that you are supposed to be given a new heart? Or is the only information that's been shared with you is the fact that you just saved these words? Repeat after me. And told you you are saved. And you wrote it down in the front of your Bible. August twenty second, 1972. I was saved. There's your salvation. It's written in the front of your Bible. Or has anybody shared with you the fact that For you, truly, to be converted, you must be born again. And you must be given a new heart. And you won't be the same. That you'll be completely and forever changed. That there's a total... It's not a reformation. It's a complete and utter transformation that takes place. you're not the same person anymore. You cannot sin and get away with it. It's not just that your conscience bothers you anymore. It's not that you can finally quiet your conscience. No, it's that the Spirit of God is grieved within you. How do you even get close to that in the physical physical realm? I can offend my wife, I live with her, and and, and I can see the grief, I I can see the disappointment, I can see the dissatisfaction, I can see the hurt, I can see the shame, I can see the tears. If you're born again, the Spirit of God lives within you. And that is a reality you live with inside you if you have done anything that is displeased if your yes has not been yes and your no has not been no then your heart was already pricked this morning your heart was already stabbed this morning and the spirit of God said to you this is for you your yes hasn't been yes and your no hasn't been no and that can't be you can't continue that way you were told that white lies were okay and that if you could find a loophole, that was okay, but it's not okay. You render under Caesar what is Caesar's. God didn't say, the Lord didn't say, when he said to render under Caesar what is Caesar's, if you can find a loophole. Aunt Nita, I'm not trying to say anything this morning. I know Teresa, you and Teresa are going to talk about taxes later. <laughs> What I'm saying, if, if the government allows us to take a deduction, take the deduction to the fullest extent take it. I mean, If they'll give me tax credit for my children, I'm not going to take three and not the fourth one. I'm going to take all four if they're going to give it to me. Nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is if there's not a deduction that the government has actually allowed and I see a place where, well, you know what? I could fit this in there. Really, it's kind of square and the hole's round, but I can shove it in there and make it work. It might pop out. You might find out that it wasn't supposed to go in there. But the focus is the salvation of our souls. This is the end that should be in view. Of all people realizing that this is our calling, that it is the gospel that we must receive that we must believe that our faith has to be upon Christ that our souls must be saved now once my soul is saved i can, I can then be concerned about salvation the salvation of souls of other people as well as my own not as a one time event i don't get get dunked back here in the water and you know it's all done i'm good No. I'm being saved. I I am walking in truth. I am finding out daily that there are things that I need to die to. This is not right. God would not have this to be a part of my life. I need to die to that. That doesn't need to live in my life anymore. That needs to be gone. We've got to realize our calling. you know what? I'm not the master of the vessel. You know, we read about the man there that Paul was telling these men, look, it's not good. We don't need to leave here. There's going to be loss of ship, lading, maybe even life. Or lading ship and maybe even life. That's the order he put it in. We don't need to leave fair havens. We need to stay right here. But the centurion, whose decision it was, because he was the authority of The Roman government, who had taken this ship um, and had told this captain, you know, we're gonna pay you whatever this is, or maybe Romans, you know, they said we're just gonna take the ship, you know, whatever. I don't know, but he was in the position of authority. The crew, the captain, let's get out of here. It's not, it's not the greatest place. Let's get out of here. Paul says we need to stay right here. You know, we may not be the most important person on the ship. You know, no, I'm not a ruler of this world. I'm not a president. I'm not governor. I'm not a mayor. I'm not even the supervisor where I work. But what I have to say as a child of God is more important than anything that the highest person in this world could ever have to say. Because the ship's not going to make it and the stuff in the ship's not going to make it. Cargo's not going to make it. The soul's going to make it to the end and it's going to have one one of two destinations. And the thing that I've got to say as a child of God, Paul stood up and said something. The thing that I've got to say as a child of God, the gospel that I have to share with men is of supreme importance. You know, we're like, we are like on board this ship. I know Paul was a prisoner. But we are, even as the lowest crew member, lowest person on the ship, we are like the guy up there in the crow's nest. The saying, there's a shore. There's heaven. There's another place. There's hell. And there's a lighthouse and that's Christ. And he's warning of the danger of the rocks that that you are bound for except you receive Him. And I'm pointing them towards that lighthouse saying, look, there's the light. It's beaming. There's the gospel. Listen. Look. Live. If not, you're going to perish. And this is the thing, in essence, that Paul is doing, warning them that we do. We warn men. well, We ended the last time that I spoke to you with this thought. The fair havens that they were in of God's gracious dealings with us and our understanding of that grace and all of our circumstances according to the goodness of God towards us and all that He allows or disallows needs to be where we drop anchor. I mean, we need to drop anchor there. Everything that happens. Every storm that comes, every wind that blows, every ship that we step on board, every people, in other words, that we are in the midst of on board that same ship, that mixed company, the fellowship of believers that we have, the circumstances that we find ourselves in on board the ship, whatever position we're put in, God's gracious goodness and dealings with us, we need to recognize and we need to drop anchor in that place in our minds, And to be able to be at peace in our circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in, and be able to praise the Lord for his goodness in everything that happens. Rejoice always. There's two people here this morning who've lost a mother and a grandmother. We need to be able to rejoice. They need to be able to rejoice. Doesn't mean there's not sorrow doesn't mean they don't miss her. doesn't mean that we're not sorrowful with her. But they need to be able to say, and we need to be able to say, that happens to us. Or like I said last week, the doctor says you have cancer. Whatever news we get, we need to be able to say, Lord, you are right. In everything that you do. You are right when you do it. You are right how long you leave us in it. You are right when you take us out of it. You're right when you bring us into it. You're right. You're just right in everything that you do. I accept this from your hand. I receive it as from you. I rejoice in whatever you may teach me in it or whatever example you may use me out of it. I just praise you for your goodness, knowing that you will keep me in it. But you'll not allow more to be put upon me than I can bear. When you look at Job, you think about Job. You think about all that came upon Job. You think about his everything that he had taken away, his kids all killed, all his possessions gone, his health gone. Yet will I praise him, though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. So we need to weigh anchor, and uh, not weigh anchor. Sorry, that would be taking it up. Told you I'm not nautical. We need to drop anchor <laughs> there, and that anchor needs to stay there. So when. Much time was spent in verse number 9. You know what I thought about when I, when I read that? What care we ought to take, and I'm going to try to move a little faster, that we spend our time while we're waiting, looking unto God, from whom all blessings flow. When much time is being spent, when we're waiting, looking unto Him, knowing that every blessing comes from Him, knowing that all of our help comes from Him, knowing that all of the wisdom that we need comes from Him, knowing that every blessing flows from Him. Be still and know that I am God. You need to be able to do that. He says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. How do you spend your time? I assure you that Paul, on board the ship, was spending it in prayer. What? A blessing we have to be able to pray. Do we realize that? Do we take that into account? Brother Barney sang to us during the meeting that words, to that song, before you left your room this morning, before you left the house this morning, I'm adding to before your feet hit the floor this morning did you think to pray did you pray how many times we find ourselves we've got stuff going on i got to get up this morning and get busy and we get through part of our day and we're like you know what I haven't even prayed I haven't even prayed today As the hymn says, what peace we often forfeit. The peace is ours to have. But how often we forfeit it. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. For a man to write that, for a man to write those words, he had to know something of not praying. You realize that, don't you? You don't just write words like that You know what? You're going to bear a lot of pain. You're going to forfeit a lot of peace if you don't pray. I always pray. No. He went through not praying and he bore some things that he didn't have to bear. Lacked peace that he otherwise would have had. Made some decisions maybe that he ought not have made because he didn't pray about it. Didn't carry it to the Lord in prayer. How are we going to have anything to offer unto men to advise them? Paul's advising these men here unless we've been with God in His Word and in prayer. Unless we have saturated ourselves. You need to saturate yourself with the Word of God. John and Louise were telling me this morning how that they're trying to memorize Scripture. They're making an effort. Anybody memorized this thing yet? got this memorized yet? How many times I read the commentary as I'm studying and I come across a passage and I see the connection that another man has studied and he's written down this passage in another place in Scripture and I'm like, wow. I know that story. I didn't make the connection. It wasn't even in my mind. How many men I know read the Bible through every single year saturating themselves in Scripture? I confess to you, I don't do that. I don't do that. I need to do that. You need to, we need to do that. We really do. We need to saturate ourselves. This you know, Jim, I've been picking on Jim this morning. Jim knows how to do a lot of things with a car that I don't know how to do. He's been taught those things. He's read about those things. And this, this is God's word unto us. They've given unto us. We need to saturate ourselves with this. We really do. How are we going to have anything of eternal value? Jim can tell a guy, you know, you need this size spark plug uh, you know, socket, and if you'll use this universal joint this ratchet, you can get that spark plug out of there. And that's great for the spark plug. And that's great for his ability to be able to drive that car and it be tuned up like it ought to be. Change the wires and plugs and do different things to it. But it doesn't have any bearing upon the salvation of his soul. It doesn't have any bearing upon the eternal destiny of his soul. I can know all of those kinds of things and share all of that kind of knowledge with men what about this? Yes. What about this? Did any of you get Brother Mac Tomlinson's email that he sends out daily thoughts? He doesn't quite send them every day. I can understand. You know, I, I I want to be here every day. I want to be here every day, other than here on this page, every day for Sunday. I want to be here every day for me too. You know, and, and reading other places and not just preparing for a message. Not that that's not for me because it is too, but to be in God's Word other than just studying. You know, I've asked myself, how many times I've asked myself this question? I know what a struggle it is for me daily to find time, to fight daily to find time, to fight in my heart and mind when my son comes to me and says, Dad, will you play a board game? study for. I've, you know, I've got to get ready. Sorry, son, I can't do that. Right now. You have to, to fight with those things every day to find time. I know what that's like. And I ask myself this question. Self, if you didn't have to work, how faithful would you be studying? How much time would you spend? Would you spend the kind of time you spend on your job? Studying God's Word every day? Did you spend that kind of time? I asked myself that question. Because there was a time in my life when I really struggled with that. I thought, Lord, I need I need to be able to just just pastor the church. I need to be able to just do that. Nothing else. The Lord said, no. Nope. You need to work. You need to struggle. You need to do that. Maybe one one day I will give you the thing that you're asking for. I don't know that he ever will. I'm not asking that of you this morning. I'm not asking the church to do that. Don't get that impression. Here's what I am saying. How faithful would I be? I spend all my time playing board games? And a little bit of time studying? How faithful would I be? I have to ask myself that. How faithful are you? How faithful are you being? How faithful would I be put myself in your shoes how faithful would I be to be found here if the Lord hadn't called me to stand behind this? I'm compelled daily. You know, it's it's just like me going out to work to put food on my family's table. If I don't go out there and work, I'm not going to have money to buy food for them. If I don't study, I'm not going to have anything to give you. So I'm compelled in a sense to do that, and the Lord's given me a heart to do that, and I enjoy doing that. I'm, if, if it were me if if I had if I had if I had decided myself that this is what I wanted to do if I had determined I'm going to do this I'm going to preach I'd be looking for the uh, you know they've got they've got uh, books I tell you every Sunday you preach this sermon it's already laid out for you you know it's already word for word there it is I'm going to it to you. Just say these words. What's that mean? What does that mean for you? If I didn't pray, seek the Lord, ask the Lord where do you want us to be. Where, where should we be next? Here we've been going through Acts, I don't know how long. Through Romans, I don't know how long. Years. I have to go back and look and see when we started in Acts chapter 1, or Romans chapter 1. It's been a long time. But it is the place. And I have seen over and over and over again I have seen we get to a passage and there will be something happening in one of your lives that, there it is. That was exactly I didn't know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't plan that. The Lord knew this is where we needed to be on that particular day. That you needed that. You know, he knew. We need to be in God's Word and be saturated with it and His presence. Not just His Word. We need to be saturated with His presence. The best way I know to be saturated with the presence of God is to be in His Word in prayer. Seeking Him. Bowing down before Him saying, Lord, what would you have me to do today? How would you have me to do it? This is what I have set before me. This is what I'm supposed to do. Maybe my boss wants me to do this is what I plan on doing after that. What do you want me to do? And how do you want me to go about it? And would you give me a right heart towards it? Would you not have me to despise doing it? Would you have me to do it with a joyful attitude and joyful heart and be as, as much a blessing to those around me as I possibly can be? Teresa asked me, my mom asked me, I'll turn 40 next Saturday. Believe it or not. And we agreed that we weren't going to do this I'm 40 years old now we're not going to do this present thing anymore you know but she's still doing it <clears throat> what do you want for your birthday son? I'm 40 years old what do you want? I don't know mom that never does that'll never do what do you want? what do you want? you got to give an answer okay here's what I want I told this year I told her and Teresa both this I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better nephew. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better son. I want to be a better brother. I want to be better in all those areas. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want that. Teresa said, I can't give you that. I said, no, but you can pray for me for that. You can seek the Lord for me for that. That's what I want. Will you do that for me? They think it's got to be something tangible. Got to put something in your hands. Give you something. Got to be able to feel it. Well, they'll pray that for me. A lot of people feel it. A lot of people experience it. We have a message for men, but sadly they are not always willing to hear it. Paul had something to say to these men. He gave them advice, but they were not willing to hear. Who else but Paul, as we look at our narrative, who else but Paul, in verse number 9, stands forth and says, it's time for sailing's past. We need to stay right here. This is, God's given us this place to stay. It may not be you know, the accommodations that you want. It's not the Hilton." It's not the Ritz, but you know what? It's a place God's given us, and that ought to seem to us better than the Hilton of the Ritz, even if it doesn't look that way unto us naturally. Who else but Paul stood up and said these things? Everybody else was, let's go. It's up to you. Not the salvation of their soul. salvation of their soul is not up to you. But it is up to you to speak you must speak it is up to you to preach the gospel it's not just up to me and yeah you can you can coax compel drag people here if you want to I'll give them whatever God's given me to give them that particular day but you know what it's up to you too you have to share what do I say what do I say, John? What do I say to people? What do I say to those fellas next door? They moved in next door? Don't seem to have a care for God at all. Smoking pot, drinking beer. What do I say to those guys? Well, I need to be here and in prayer, first of all. I need to be here. And being here and in prayer. Say, Lord... When's the opportunity? When do I speak? What do I say? You, you just tell them the gospel. Does it have to be said a certain way? No. You're a sinner. You realize that, don't you? You know you've sinned against God. What are you going to do about that sin? How are you going to pay for that sin? You know what the Bible says? Let me tell you. Either you're going to pay for it, or someone's going to, someone has paid already for those sins for you. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about His death and His atonement. Let me tell you about God sending His only begotten Son. Let me tell you about the fact that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He rejoices in the death of the righteous. Can you imagine the homecoming? I mean, there's much rejoicing that happens in heaven over the conversion of one. on the earth. You see the prodigal son, you see him coming home back into his father, and the garments put on him, the ring on his hand, the feast is, you know, spread. You just tell them. You just tell them about Christ. You point them to Christ. One man said that God often, this is is the thing that that you and I have to be willing to speak. Nobody else is going to say it. You've got to say it. There's nobody else to say it. Those guys next door, John, are going to say it. They're going to tell people. They don't know. I may be at your house and I may be the one to say it to them. I don't know. One day. Who knows? It may be you that says it. It Maybe your mom. I don't know. But one man said that God often imparts enlightened eyes and prudent counsels to his people even in temporal matters, even in you know, things, everyday things, the ship sailing. And it is well with them, that is the captain and the crew and the centurion, it is well with them when they listen and they adopt those things that we're saying. Another man said, let it not be said that the servants of God can render no services in temporal affairs, things of this life in other words, Such is not the truth. It is true that it's not our principal aim to help men with temporal things. But he says godliness is profitable unto all things. That's what 1 Timothy 4.8 says. Godliness is profitable in all things. Even in temporal things, godliness is profitable. Joseph was used by God to preserve Egypt and can- Canaan from famine by the understanding that God gave him. You have understanding that can preserve a soul from eternal torment. Not just from hunger in this life. And now you may, you may have a few dollars you can give somebody help them out. Not just that. And you may have a heart that God's giving you to do it. But we're talking about the eternal destiny of a person's soul. Paul's advice was not followed. It was rejected. He speaks that he must do. His counsel is cast out. That we have nothing to do with. We can't make them believe. We can't make them trust. We talked about that. God must give the increase. That's what 1 Corinthians says. Chapter 3, verse 6 tells us, I have planted, Paul says, Apollos has watered, but God gives the increase. Whether it's initial conversion or the watering of those that are converted or sowing the seed and the watering of the seed, the growth is God's work. That's God's. I can't make the seed spring up any more than I can. Brother Wiseman, you know about planting and growing things. I did it as a kid, reluctantly, in my grandfather's garden. Came up here in summertime. gotta be kidding me! I want spring. I'm on summer break here. You want me to go out and dig in the dirt, dig up potatoes, pick peas, shell these things, and can and all that? This is not no, this is not fun. I want to have some fun. I can't make the seed grow. Put the seed in the ground, you know, and I say. Bad seed didn't come up. Did I water it? Making it come up, I can't do. I'm, I can water it all I want to, but it's not going to come up. I can't make it come up. The seed's not bad, the seed's the gospel. It's the heart. I'm not saying you can't have bad seed, I'm sure you can. But for all intensive purposes, what we're talking about, there's nothing wrong with seed seed's perfect. It's the ground. It's the heart that is sown in. God's got to change that. I can't change it. You know, we're in Romans chapter 10 on Wednesday nights. Verse 1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. He didn't say he could save them. He didn't say he would save them. He says they might be, that they might be saved. That was his desire. That was his prayer. That's what he wanted. Certainly should be our desire. Certainly should be our prayer. We are all, every one of us, living to die. We're all living towards that end. We're living to die. I want to die well. I want to die in Christ. And I want other men to die. I want you to die in Christ. I want other men to die in Christ. I don't want you to live to live. The whole world's doing that. Everybody else on board the ship's doing that. They're living to live. They're not living to die. But that has to be our focus. We are live. Well, you're gonna die. You're gonna stand before God. We need to live to die. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master, the captain, more than he did those things that were spoken of Paul. I know I'm, I'm out of time. And I don't want to weary you. I can see some of your eyes are heavy. Um, not something you really can control. It's, it's something you can't control. It's hard. You know, I mean, we, we got in late last night, and I was sitting at my desk there in the study at, uh, I know it was after 3, hadn't been in bed yet. Sitting there, and I'm reading, and I'm studying, and the next thing you know, I'm waking up before I fall and hit the floor out of the chair, you know. I haven't seen any of you do that yet, but I have. I know that you are, you're tired. Um, It's hard to, I'm standing, it's hard to, I bet you I probably could fall asleep standing up, I don't know, but um, I know I I could. I know there's times when Teresa was so sick and I was without so much sleep, but there were times that I actually would catch myself um, standing, my knees had buckled, and I was falling to the floor and I'd catch myself. I, I know you can fall asleep standing. I'm sure people who have been in the military know that you can fall asleep standing. <laughs> um, it wear you out so much. But 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to read this to you. Um, and and this, this, is, this is on page 304 in your pew Bible. <clears throat> I, I didn't think I had enough this morning and I've, I've got too much. Not that I try to fill a certain amount of time. Because a lot of you probably say, well, why don't you set that... Time frame at thirty minutes. And I look at Brother Conrad; you know he came here, and that man has much he could say that we need to hear. And he'd speak thirty minutes. And you're like, "Come on, thirty minutes? You're give me fifteen minutes more. You know, how about how about an hour?" But thirty minutes. Uncle Jack got to that point. I'd ask him, you know, when he was preaching here, which tapes he wanted me to order because you buy certain length tapes. or are using tapes at the time. And uh, he'd say, 30-minute tapes. He said, if I can't say it in 30 minutes, then he'd be said, I don't know, you know why they came to that point. Brother Conrad put a sign for the camp, I guess, or maybe for the men that were speaking there in the church. At the time, he put a sign under the clock that said, blessed are the merciful. <laughs> 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 and somebody else in the church... That 30 minutes is not enough for. Yeah. They said they, they didn't do it because they didn't want to offend him. But they said, I wanted to put a sign underneath that. that said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. <laughs> but 2 Kings chapter 5, verse uh, number 1. Th- this is the story of Naaman, a Syrian, Naaman the leper. Uh, Naaman was captain of the host of the king of Syria. Verse number one was a great man with his master, honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor but he was a leper. Did I go too soon for you son? You on 304? Page four. I see you're still flipping through your Bible. Um, verse number two is where we are now. Second Kings chapter five. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. What an unimportant person. Just a little maid. And the Bible didn't say just a maid. It even said a little maid. Just this insignificant person. When you see that, uh, lights ought to be... Y'all were here for the meeting. Some of you were. And we turned that organ on and you saw all the lights. You see a little maid, the lights ought to be flashing. This is an important person. The Bible seems significant to say. A little maid. You've got to pay attention. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, because Naaman was a leper. She said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. No, so in other words, I wish that, that Naaman could be in the land that I'm from, that y'all have stolen me from. The land where, where my God is amongst his people. I were that Naaman, you know, were there. So I would, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Verse 4. And one went in and told his Lord, that is, when they're using the Lord here, it's not our Lord, Jesus Christ, talking about Naaman being their owner. They were slaves. Verse four and one went in and told his lord saying, "Thus and thus, about what the maid said, the maid that is in or that is of the land of Israel, and the king of Assyria said, "Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. You know the king of Assyria knew that his captain of course of his host had this leprosy. He said, "Go, there's a way that you can be healed. go." Go to that place. I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And He departed and took it with him, ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Verse 6. And he brought the letter unto the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Can you imagine being under the rule of Syria as a people? And for the king of Assyria to send unto you one of his servants and say heal him this is what the king of Israel says same thing you're doing shaking your head verse 7 and it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter he tore his clothes he ran his clothes and said am I God how am I going to heal this person we've talked about that already haven't we we can't save anyone the little maid did what she could didn't she there's the gospel. The seed's cast out there. Go. Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man did send unto me to recover a man of leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you. Look what he's doing. Look what the king of Syria is doing is what the king of Israel is saying. See how he seeks a quarrel against me. He's telling me to do something he, know I, he knows I can't do so he can, he can stir up trouble. Verse number eight. And it was so when Elisha, prophet of God, a man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come to me. He shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. He shall know that there is a God. In other words. So, verse number nine Naaman came with his horses, with his chariot. Stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Thought himself pretty important. If anyone deserved healing, it was him. Verse ten, Elisha didn't even come out to see him. Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, This man's standing at his door. He's inside. And he sends a messenger to him. Doesn't even come to him. He knows this is a proud man. Deals with him accordingly. So he sends a messenger unto him, tells him, verse number ten, go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Verse eleven says, Naaman was wroth; he was angry, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely. First of all, he didn't even come out to me. He didn't have the respect to even come out to me. He know I'm the captain of the host. He know how important I am. I have a letter from the king. I thought surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Put his hands on me and heal me. I thought he would do that, surely. But look what he said to me. want me to go and wash in the Jordan. Oh, dirty river. Verse 12, he says, Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? Why not be Jordan? Can I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. His servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he said to, unto you, Wash and be clean? Why can't you do that? Such a small thing. Maybe he told you to do some great feat, go and, and, and be like Samson and rend you know, a, a lion in two with your bare hands so that you could be clean. He probably would have tempted to do it. Thought he was equal to the task. But to go and wash in the Jordan seven times and to be clean, it's such a simple thing. Won't you just do it? Please do it. That you might be clean. Verse 14 He went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh came again and his flesh didn't just come again. He wasn't, I don't know how old he was. I look at my skin. It's wrinkled. It's beginning to wrinkle. Beginning to show signs that this is not going to make it. The ship's not going to make it to the end. It's going to give out. It's going to go under one day. But not just skin. But look what it says. But his flesh came unto him like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is a God in all the earth. Or there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. There's only one God, in other words now therefore I pray thee take a blessing of thy servant and he said as the Lord liveth before whom I stand Elisha says I will receive nothing and he urged him to take it but he refused so my point in having read that Paul had something to say the little maid had something to say the men that Paul spoke unto didn't receive Paul's words the little maid spoke took Naaman some getting around to it. But he finally received that that Elisha told him. And when he did, he was made whole. We have something to say. We have a gospel to preach. Men may not always receive it, but if they will, they'll be made clean. Just like Naaman. And let me tell you, their mind is like Naaman's flesh. Made like a little child's. Their mind will be cleaner and purer than ever they have known before. Well, there may not have ever been a man of the age of Naaman to have such a complexion, to have such skin as Naaman had. Maybe before and after he washed himself, to have the leprosy that he had. Maybe the worst leper that ever lived. May had the worst sores and bowls that have ever been seen. You think about the Gadarenes demoniac and how that he was running through the graveyard and he was cutting himself. And, you know, they tried to bind him and and, uh, they they couldn't. He was break free. He was a nuisance to the people. The Lord stepped upon the shore. He came. The Lord cast out those demons. And we find that he was clothed, no longer naked. He was clothed, sitting at the feet of the Lord and in his right mind. What a thing. What a place to be brought. But he didn't think, let me finish this thought. I'm not going to take you anywhere else. Let me finish this thought. He didn't think and make the connection between this verse and where we are. We already talked about the person being born again. Um, but we know they didn't want to stay in Fair Havens because the place wasn't commodious. Well, compare that to Naaman. Jordan wasn't good enough. Why I of washed there. Why can't I wash in the river of Damascus? It's a better river. It's a cleaner river than the Jordan is. Why not wash in the Jordan? Because God said so. People might not receive what you say because they think there's another way. And Christ is the only way. Right, John? There's no other way. It's Jordan. or nothing. You're not going to be cleansed unless you dip seven times in the Jordan. Unless you come to Christ. There is no other way. Here's fair havens. God's given this to us. We need to stay here, Paul says. No, there's a better place. I'm going to the rivers of Damascus. Those rivers are better than this one. better place for us to go. The centurion would listen to the voice of the ship's captain instead of the creator of the sea and land. You, know, you look at the ship's captain, you think, that's a pretty important guy. I mean, he's been on the sea. He's a salty guy. He knows. He knows. He's been in some bad storms before. He knows. The time of the year. We can. If he says we can still sail, we can still sail. I'm going to go with him. Here's God's servant on board the ship. He says, don't go. Who outranks who? I mean, God has spoken. And the ship's captain has spoken. Who do you want to listen to? That's that's relevant for you and me. Because the world's speaking all the time. Who are you going to listen to? friend tells you you ought to do this this God the Scotland council that I'm taking here? What would God have me to do? Well, yeah, it's what he says. Sounds good. Is that what God wants me to do? I need to, I need to be able to determine that. You know, majority, one, one man talked about votes, and I think I may have mentioned this to you last week. You know, it's not how many votes that there are. Because the majority most of the time is wrong. You don't want to run with the crowd. Your parents don't, don't run with the crowd. The the crowd's not in the good stuff. The crowds are going to get you in trouble. Don't run with the crowd. But most of the decisions that are made, majority rules. But really what it ought to be, we ought to weigh the votes. Here's this person's vote. What does it weigh? There's no way for us to do that as a nation with all the votes that are cast. But what does this vote weigh? What's the motivation behind this vote? Is this a vote that's being given, is it it a godly vote? Is this person doing what God would have them do? Is this person giving me godly counsel? Is this person seeking to glorify God And the counsel he's giving me? What's, What's the motivating factor behind it? here's all these votes saying, go. And here's one person standing and saying, we shouldn't go. What do you go with? You go with, because there's 200 votes over here and only one over here. You say, well, you know, hey. Weigh this one. How much does this one weigh? This one really weighs more than the 200. In reality. Most times... This man went on to say, The worst men are those who constitute the majority. The worst men are the ones who make up the majority. It often occurs that when men are not satisfied with their condition and attempt to improve it, they actually expose themselves to greater trouble, greater evil. Not satisfied with your current situation? Be careful that you do not expose yourself even more peril than you may think you're in now out of the frying pan into the fire sort of thing exposing yourself to greater dangers that's what happened here Fair Havens wasn't good enough Jordan wasn't good enough rivers in Damascus are better there are better waters listen to the Lord don't listen to the ship's captain don't listen to the crew listen to the Lord now if the ship's captain if the advice he's given me is godly advice I need to weigh that see if it is listen to it if it is this is the thing that he's telling me if this is the Lord speaking to me I need to do that that's what I need to do I need to weigh it else I may expose myself to greater trouble well we didn't make it all the way through where I wanted to get today but and I hope the things that I had to say were relevant I hope the things were helpful I hope the things you know, make inroads into your life and help you make decisions or an encouragement to you and some benefit to you in some way that's my desire every time I stand here I don't want to get up here just to speak I want to get up here and make you laugh though sometimes I know I do <clears throat> I try to do that sometimes just to kind of you know, keep it going but what did the Lord say to me today that's what I need to be asking myself my yes yes my no no we talked about that here we are on the ship where am I in, in this yeah. am, I, am I spreading the seed out there where I need to be spreading it reason I asked you about Brother Mac and sending that one of the emails that he sent, he was talking about. You know, we, we, I read this to you not too long ago. I think I may have planned on it. I didn't I? Don't know. Um, but the harvest. There, there's, there's plenty of people out there. The harvest is plentiful. The Lord says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. There's going to be any reaping of that harvest. It's going to take laborers to go out there and get it. Pray the Lord of the harvest that He would send laborers into the harvest to reap.